Welcome to the Awareness Offerings Podcast, a weekly offering of yoga philosophy discussion and guided meditation for the moments we're living in. I'm your host, Laura Tara Davy Joplin. I'm a yoga and meditation teacher, spiritual social media strategist, and integrative counselor, working to integrate the principles of the spiritual path into every aspect of my work and my life. This podcast is an extension of that work as I navigate the world as a white woman devotee of yoga, living at many intersections of privilege, living in the West, and trying to live with awareness. Thank you for joining me in this work. You're listening to episode 66, Graduation, Naming My Position. Welcome to this week's awareness offering, y'all. This one might be a little more unconventional. This is going to be a little heavier on personal reflection than it might be yoga philosophy discussion and formal practice, but I have some reflecting to do and this feels like the place to do it. I have this microphone and this weekly container I've created for talking. So as I was thinking about sharing some of the reflections I'm feeling called to share, this felt like the place to do it. So thank you for sitting with me in personal reflection this week. As always, if you want to support every type of reflection and practice we do here on the Awareness Offerings podcast, best ways to do so are by subscribing, rating, and or leaving a review on whatever platform you're using to listen. You might share by word of mouth or social media if you feel called, and all of those items just help other people find the show. I appreciate that and... My deepest appreciation, as always, is reserved for this. Just the fact that you're here, I'm here, and we get to share a little audio wave space together. So let's share our space. Let's go into our opening practice of singing the sound of Om one time. Om is said to be the original sound in the universe, the sound that contains every other sound. And so the idea in some ways is to broaden the lens a little bit. The wildness of our minds, although our, our, our busy minds can be very helpful to us sometimes, and they've actually helped us to survive over the last hundreds of thousands of years, um, that busyness and the urgency of the mind can keep us kind of in a point of almost like tunnel vision and singing om this sound that contains all other sounds kind of widens the view a little bit so we can see past just the mind and explore the other things that make up our experience and make up our world so that's what we're doing you can sing om out loud you can listen you can make a vocalized sound that is not om all sound is harmonizing and so choose to do the practice that works for you if you're coming along with me, you might get your body into a comfortable position to begin. If it's safe and supportive for you to do so right now, you might choose to close your eyes. You might not. You might just take a soft gaze, maybe looking down your nose or toward the floor. Then you might join me in taking a breath in through your nose if nostril breathing is accessible to you right now. And we'll release that breath through the nose, making some space first. And then we'll inhale for the sound of OM, sound that contains all other sounds. Oh. 
thank you for joining me in that practice. And now I'll go into this week's reflection. And I will say, right as we were singing Om, my computer fan decided to kick back up. I still haven't quite figured out how to, because my computer is obviously working very hard when I have my audio mixing app open and I'm recording. And so sometimes the fan kicks on because it's working so hard and it's something that shows up in the audio of the podcast. So I still haven't quite figured out how to get around that. If you have any suggestions, throw them my way. But it right now I'm sort of just counting it as among the ways that, you know, we're in the present moment, right? I record this podcast from my makeshift home office in my dining room. Sometimes you hear my cat eating. Sometimes I have to swallow in the middle of a sentence, right? These things happen and I'm not a professional podcaster in the sense that I'm making these highly edited episodes. The intention is for this to be present and conversational. So that's part of our present experience. Just like, you know, if we're meditating, the mind might decide to get a little loud and that can also be part of our present experience. So with that said, I'm going to do some reflecting. On the day that I'm recording this, December 8th, 2022, I am one day away from graduating with my master's degree in clinical social work. I entered into a master's program at Florida State University in 2019. I was accepted in 2019. I began the program in January of 2020, and I have been working toward this goal for the last three years, from 2020 through this end of 2022. And here I am. I'm about to graduate. I did it. It happened. It's wild to say it out loud. This week in particular, the week I'm recording, has been my final week of coursework. And so I I finished a capstone paper on Monday, among a lot of other kind of busy pieces of life in my work and and just different things happening. It's been a huge week. And so I've been really tired and honestly pretty stressed. And so I'm just now getting to the point where there are moments of clarity where I break through the stress, like the light of the moon breaks through the clouds, and I get to take in a little space and take in what's really happening and say to myself and really feel the reality of I did this and it's happening. But I did, and it's happening. And it has been a long, wild, interesting, fulfilling, difficult, deep experience, among many other things. And I have some reflecting to do, like I alluded to earlier. And since I have this platform I've made for myself to speak out loud, I'm going to use it to do some of this reflecting on the things I want to name out loud around this experience of graduating with my master's degree and becoming a social worker. And the first thing I want to name is just where I'm sitting as I enter into this field. And I I get these words I'm about to say. I generated them last night. I was writing an email to some beloved friends, just kind of reflecting on this process, inviting them to watch the live stream of my graduation if they should want to, and inviting them to a very informal gathering I'm having in a couple weeks uh, to celebrate this. And I ended up, I didn't even plan to do this, but I ended up opening the email with this really deep reflection on kind of how I want to be as I get ready to become a social worker. And I want to start this reflective podcast episode by sharing that. This is the close of a big process. I'm looking forward to being able to help people in a quote unquote official capacity. I do have a job at a therapy practice starting on January 9th. And I also feel really clear that I'm working within this officially recognized system because it's one way to be a mental health professional with integrity. But my hope is to create change within the system, to be a subversive kind of therapist who shows up as my whole self in an ethical way, of course, 
does not over-pathologize human suffering, is affirming to people with all kinds of identities and experiences, integrates a whole self-approach, and uses spirituality as a therapeutic tool. So I do have this job. I'm taking December off after this graduation tomorrow. And then a month from graduation on January 9th, I begin a job at a therapy practice under supervision so that I can work toward earning clinical licensure, which takes a few more years and a few more hours. And that's really where I'm sitting and my intention, my clear vision as I go into this process. And I also want to name because essentially that that's my opening statement there but essentially what this podcast is about is naming my position as i alluded to in the title i think it's important if we can to name where we are positioned in certain areas of life especially if we're people who have privilege many of us have different kinds of privilege in different ways and Though I don't think we have to self-flagellate ourselves because we have privilege, it doesn't mean that we are bad people. It means we have responsibility, right? To, To use what we've been given for the benefit of those who might not have been given the same opportunities we have. And sometimes that just means shutting up and making more space for the people who haven't been given the opportunities we have. But I think one way to be in presence and consciousness, kind of one of the first steps to recognizing what our responsibilities and and just where and who we are in terms of our privilege is to name our position, to just say out loud to ourselves or to others, this is where I am. And I'm planning to do that in this episode, to name a few things about my position, because although this has been a, a huge process and this is a big accomplishment here, this is a layered thing. There are There is nuance and there are layers to the fact that I am graduating with a master's and I wanna name those things for myself um, and just as a practice of of naming the position as, as an act of mindfulness and consciousness and because it feels important to go into this process with that clarity and that awareness and in naming my position now, I can give myself a little space to celebrate the very real accomplishment as well. So I'm here to name my position, but before I do that, you know, I've already named my intention and my vision, but before I go into naming my position, I also want to name and honor my own resilience. I don't want to get into a, 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 a space where I'm like shaming myself for the points of privilege and the complicated pieces of this process and of the social work profession I'm entering. Those are real and I want to acknowledge them and that's important and I don't want to be shaming myself over it. I want to hold space, right? My spiritual name is Tara, named for the goddess of the night sky. So spaciousness is one of my practices. I want to hold spaciousness around all the layers and nuances of this this situation that I'm in. So I do want to name my own resilience and name that I'm proud of myself, not the least for the fact that I completed this degree from 2020 to 2022. And in that period, we've had a pandemic, we've had more societal and political upheaval and difficulty and reckoning, most of which was incredibly needed, but more of that than I've ever seen in my lifetime. We've had 
an election. We had a midterm election. Um, my father got sick during this period. I moved during this period. I went through a relationship with a person who had addiction. I realized I wasn't over my longest term relationship and had to really get over it and do some work. And then I met my current partner who's wonderful, but so much has happened. And I still did this. I still put in the work and I made it through and I'm graduating with this degree. And that's a huge deal. And I want to name that and honor that for myself and model for anyone who might be listening that we can be real about when things are complex and nuanced, but also still honor ourselves. So I'm starting with that. And now I wanna do a little discussion around the things I wanna name, the layers of this, master's degree that are more complex and I feel called to reflect on. The first thing I want to name clearly is that I had help. I did not do this alone. And although we live, at least in the States where I live, in a culture with an individualistic mindset that tells us to pull our own selves up by our own bootstraps, nothing is ever done in a vacuum. We are always in community whether we want to be or not. And I did this in community. I had financial help from my family in getting this degree done. I had support from my mentors and my teachers, like Lena Franklin, um, one of my longest working relationships, a mentor for me in the social work field, who ended up being my internship supervisor for the close of this graduate school process, um, and Melanie Storiston, who owns the therapy practice that I'm going into um, here in a couple weeks, and of course my family, all of my, my friends and dear ones who have held my hand and held my heart in so many ways, I had help. I did not do this alone. And I think the financial piece is really important. I did not have to go into debt to get this degree. That is an incredible privilege. And I want to name that out loud. The second thing I want to name as I sit and name my position with you here is that the school, the university, the institution, if you will, that I'm graduating from uses indigenous people as a mascot. And that is an issue for me. (laughs) I don't think it's ethical. I am graduating from Florida State University, incredible institution, and their mascot is the Seminole tribe. And while they do have a relationship with the Seminole tribe, and this is, you know, everything happens in degrees of nuance, and this is more nuanced than, say, a baseball team named the Redskins, but I still don't believe, as a personal principle, my own personal moral compass says using indigenous people as a mascot period is unethical. And so I want to name that. I want to name that I am uncomfortable with the fact that my, my alma mater is using indigenous folks as a mascot. And even just the fact that the, the mascot itself is still like a screaming head of an indigenous person, even that could be changed and shifted to make some progress here. Like the the spear is another symbol that Florida State uses and maybe use the spear instead of the head. But I, I just don't know that any of it is correct. And I am not a tribalized indigenous person. So it's not ultimately up to me to say, but it feels important to name that ethically I am, it's very complex and I am uncomfortable with the fact that we are using indigenous folks as a mascot. And the next thing I want to name as I'm sitting here and naming my position is the fact that the mental health field is a system. It is an institution, just as policing is a system, especially in the United States, just as you know, politics are a system. It is part of a larger system. It is an old institution, and therefore, it 
has been birthed from the same places that a lot of our other systems, in, at least in here in my country, in the United States, were birthed from. Birth, birthed from places like white supremacy, capitalism, patriarchy, classism. All of those elements are present in the system of mental health. It is incredibly important to acknowledge that. And I feel it's incredibly important for me to be aware in every moment that I'm practicing within this system that has these factors ingrained into it. I don't think that means I cannot practice within this system, but I think that awareness is crucial so that every moment that I am with clients, that I am filling out reports, that I'm doing advocacy work, any of the work that I will do as a social worker, I can be aware that those factors might be, might rear their heads. They might come up so that I can work to disrupt them as best as I can. And that leads me to the final point, the final position that I want to place myself in as I reflect upon these factors here, as I prepare to graduate with my master's. The therapy that I seek to practice is I'm going into social work to practice as a clinical psychotherapist, which is why I have to spend several more years under supervision and earn clinical licensure. But the therapy that I seek to practice is seek as in I will be imperfect it will be a lifetime process but it is decolonizing and depathologizing decolonizing speaks to some of what I named earlier that I seek to practice the therapy that to the best of my ability knowing that I have benefited from some of the same systems I'll be fighting against so my I might not always even be the best person for my clients to help practice decolonizing therapy I might have to refer out I might have to take more trainings definitely will might have to seek counsel and supervision but I hope and seek to practice the type of therapy that does not recreate and reinforce harmful, oppressive factors like white supremacy, like fat phobia, you know, anti-fat bias, homophobia, xenophobia in any form, patriarchy, classism, capitalism. To the best of my ability, I want to actively practice in a way that does not recreate those systems and actively works to help myself and my clients create different, different ways of being. And then depathologizing therapy. As in, and I named this a little bit earlier when I was reading that piece of my email to you, I do not believe in over-pathologizing human suffering. That does not mean that I don't believe in mental health conditions. I do. It doesn't believe I don't. It doesn't mean I don't believe in mental health diagnoses. I am fully aware and in honor of the fact that diagnoses can be incredibly insightful and affirming, and it can help folks who get those diagnoses to feel like they're not losing their minds, like they are not being gaslit, and like they have community among other people with those diagnoses. And I do not seek to discount that by any means. And I feel aware that with the, all the factors I named playing into the fact that the mental health field is a system, that system has over-pathologized human suffering, has taken the position that it wants to treat and view and interact with so many pieces of human suffering as if they are disease, as if they are a pathology as if they are brokenness or wrongness. And I do want to push against that a little bit. I am going to, you know, 
use tools like the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, I will have a clinical focus in my supervision. And so I will be working to understand what, you know, conditions and experiences my clients are having from that lens. And at the same time, I feel really called to practice in a way that shows up for my clients and sees them with empathy and acknowledges and holds space and awareness around their human suffering without what's my I'm I'm looking actively looking for the words because this is a process that I'm going to be actively undergoing probably forever for as long as I'm practicing at least if not more but sees my clients human suffering without going directly to this is your like this is your issue and here's how we're going to fix it using you know traditional systems like pharmaceuticals and again i am not at all seeking to discount the very real impact that medication has on people's mental health i i believe in it for whomever it works for and it is well documented by research that some like 56% of panelists who helped to create the current version of the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual had financial ties to pharmaceutical companies. And so there's something there around using a vulnerable and real and deep human experience, like a mental health condition, like human suffering, to sell people things and to over-medicate people. And over-medicate is the... the, the um, operative term because I think medication is a a beautiful and useful tool, but over-medication is its own thing. And I know that it can be really easy to sit and, and have this discussion and go way down the slippery slope of, you know, big pharma is out to get us. There are microchips in the vaccines. I know those things can live beside each other. But what I want to name clearly is that most conspiracy theories, if you want to name some of those things as that, take hold because there's a grain of truth in there. Of course, they get overblown and exaggerated and used to spread harm and misinformation, and they become something much more distorted than that grain of truth. But the reason people connect with them is because they have a tiny little grain of truth. And there is something to the fact that pharmaceutical, the pharmaceutical industry benefits from the pathologizing of human suffering, of treating real experiences like suffering, trauma, grief, as if they are pathologies, as if they are automatically illnesses or problems that need to be fixed rather than conditions and realities to be sat with. And as I say that out loud, I think I'm arriving in a better place with my explanation of this. My, my hope when I, when I seek to practice depathologizing therapy is to not automatically jump to assuming a client's experience of suffering, grief, trauma, difficulty, or challenge is an illness or a problem to be fixed. My first instinct as a depathologizing therapist is going to be to sit fully with them in a space of empathy and to see it fully and to hold space for it fully. And then we can see where we go from there. 
So that's my, that's my spiel, right? I am naming my position as someone who graduated with a master's and had help, especially financial, from a university that uses an indigenous mascot, and I am incredibly uncomfortable with that, going into a mental health field that is part of a greater system that can cause real harm, and doing so seeking to practice a type of mental health service that is decolonizing and depathologizing. That is my position. I appreciate you sitting with me. I appreciate this awareness offerings show that I have created and you have helped me create with your presence. I appreciate that now being a container where I can name these things for myself, name these things to model this practice of just owning our position so that we can try to do less harm as we move forward with the intentions and the work that we're doing. And I'm thankful that you listened. So now rather than a formal meditation, because I, as I record this, my mom is on the way to pick me up from my house and we're leaving for Tallahassee probably in like 10 minutes rather than a full informal practice, I'm just going to invite us to take three breaths of awareness because that is the root of what I've done here today. It's the root of everything I do on this podcast and in my work is present moment awareness, but we are able to fully see our position and our reality with conscious awareness and move from a conscious space only when we have awareness of where we are. And that can start with the breath because the breath is happening right where we are. It's happening right now. So to close this episode, our final, no, it's not our final awareness offering of the year, but our final awareness offering with me as a graduate student, I invite you to take a breath in through your nose if that is safe and comfortable and accessible and just make note to yourself that you're breathing in right now. And then an exhale through the nose, same thing, just making note that you are breathing out. And again, inhaling with awareness that it's happening, that you're breathing in. Exhaling with awareness that you are breathing out. Perhaps one more time together, inhaling, noticing that you're breathing in right now. Exhaling, noticing that you are breathing out. And the thing about naming our position as a practice is it's just one of many ways to get us right where we are. And where we are is actually the only place that we can create growth, we can create change, that we can embody our hearts, that we can help people. So I'm incredibly honored that we got to be where we are together in this way as I prepare for this, really this initiation of my graduation. Thank you for joining me for this awareness offering and for going into embodied practice with me. You can find me on social media at Laura Tara, L-A-U-R-A-T-A-R-A on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. My intro and outro music was created by none other than my very own brother, Oxella Sun, O-X-E-L-A-S-U-N, whom you can also find on Instagram. <laughs>